morning, church. My name's Peter. Isn't it so great to be able to look back at 2018 and all the wonderful things that we got to do together as a church? Well, today is the final Sunday of 2018. And so as we look towards 2019, I want to build off of the message that Pastor Todd shared last Sunday. Now, I know with Christmas and the holidays, last Sunday feels like it was a year ago, uh, but Pastor Todd shared a great message from Jeremiah 29:11, where he was talking about how God has a good plan for us and how it's good for us to have a plan. And the question that I have for you today is, what do you do when plans change? Don't you hate it when plans change? Like you take initiative and you plan out a date night for your significant other. And you've been thinking about it all week, coming up with this elaborate plan, only to have them get sick and you have to postpone it or cancel it. Don't you hate it when plans change? What do you do when plans change? If it's your day off from work and you have your entire day all planned out, all the things you're going to do or not do, and then you get called into work and it's an emergency, what do you do when plans change? Well, maybe you're not much of a planner. And when it comes to 2019, your calendar isn't full of all sorts of things. You don't really like to make long-term plans like that. But even if you're a fly by the seat of your pants, take it one day at a time, just let life come at you type of person, we still have hopes and expectations and things that we're looking forward to in the new year. And so what do you do when the hopes and expectations that you have, when life doesn't work out the way that you're intending it to? What do you do when plans change? And we know that plans are going to change because we can look back at 2018 and see all of the change that's happened in the last year. For instance, for my family, we moved houses this last year. And in January of 2018, that was not a part of our plan. It was not something we thought was going to happen. And so when you look back at your last year, what does it look like? What were the things that weren't planned or expected or things that you necessarily hoped for that came along? I can look at my friends' lives and my life and see some really encouraging things that happened in the last year. I can see people who weren't feeling very good who are now feeling better. I can see people who weren't in a relationship who are in a relationship now. People who didn't have work that have work now. I can see uh, friends of mine who had a surprise pregnancy. All sorts of wonderful things that happened in the last year. But... What about when we look back at the last year and we see those things that weren't so positive and exciting? Because I can look in my own life and I can see in the lives of my friends and I can remember some difficult things that people have had to go through in this last year. Crystal and I, uh, we had an opportunity in the spring to sit down with a group of six different couples who shared with us about their journey of trying to be able to have a baby and not being able to. They wanted so badly to conceive a child, and they were talking about the loss that they had experienced in their life and how it had affected their marriage. 
because of this difficult time and season and situation that they've had to go through. I have a friend who his mother got very sick very quickly, and he was trying to get on a plane to go out and see her, and he found out that she passed away on Mother's Day before he was able to connect with her. We can look back at 2018 and we can see some challenging things that we've had to go through. Maybe you were in a relationship and now you're not. Maybe you were feeling healthy and now you're feeling sick. What do we do when plans change? I know what I do when plans change. If I've taken initiative and I've come up with a plan and I've put some time and effort into it and it doesn't work out, then I tend to get pretty mopey. I get down, I get discouraged, I just want to get in bed and put the covers over my head and not get out of bed again. Well, what do you do when plans change? When those expectations and the hopes that you had when things don't work out like you thought that they would. I know in times in my life where plans haven't worked out, the expectations and hopes haven't gone my way. And so now when I'm faced with another decision or it's time to come up with a plan or figure out what I'm going to do, I become frozen with indecision. I, I just, it didn't work out last time. And so I'm second guessing myself. I'm not sure, should I even plan for this? Should I just let life come at me? What, what do I do here? I know there's some people where you've made plans and you've tried and it hasn't worked out for you. And so now you just kind of throw up your hands and say, I am just going to go with the flow. I'm going to let other people make up the plan. I'm just going to see what comes. What do we do when plans change? Well, to answer this question, I want to look at uh, what the Bible says in Acts chapter 16. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app, I want to encourage you to grab it, open it up to Acts 16 so you can follow along with me. It's the only passage I'm going to ask you to turn to today. We're going to go through it verse by verse and just see what we can learn from the life of Paul. Now, a few weeks ago in our Christmas series, The Ghosts of Christmas Past, we talked about Paul and how he was an enemy of the church of Jesus and how he was persecuting Christians and wanting to see Christians be killed. But then he had an encounter where Jesus Christ met him and transformed his whole life. And Jesus gave him a purpose that he was to go to the Gentiles, to the non-Hebrew people, and he was to tell them, the, preach the gospel to them, the good news of what Jesus Christ had done. And so in Acts chapter 16, we see Paul, and he is living out this purpose that God, that Jesus Christ has given to him. And so in the first five verses, we see Paul, and he's traveling around to different churches that he's established, and he's encouraging churches and believers, and he's in some familiar areas. But where we're going to pick it up is in verse 6. So Acts chapter 16 Verse 6, I'm going to read from the ESV translation. And now Paul is setting out in a new direction. He's going to some places that he hasn't been able to go before to preach the gospel, to fulfill this purpose that Jesus has given him. And so here's where we pick up the story. It says, and they, now Paul has a team of people that are traveling with him. Silas is with him, Timothy, Luke is traveling along. And it says, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. 
having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now just pause right there in your Bible app or put your finger at the end of verse 6 because we're going to come right back to this. But isn't it interesting that we see that they have been forbidden by the Holy Spirit from going to preach the gospel in Asia. Now, Asia here is like a region of the Roman Empire. It's not like the continent of Asia that we would think of today. But at some point, Paul has wanted to go and preach the gospel to fulfill this purpose that God has given him in Asia. And yet the Holy Spirit has said not to. Let's continue to verse 7. It says, And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So here we see that Paul had come up with a plan that he wants to go to Bithynia. And yet again, we see the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is saying no. And what we can pull from these two verses that we just looked at quickly is that Paul had a plan. And that as Pastor Todd shared last Sunday, it's good for us to have a plan. You know, God is not afraid of your plan. And God allows us to make a plan. And really, it's so amazing to me the freedom that we have within the purpose that Jesus has given us and the framework that he gives us in the Bible to come up with our own plans, to be able to choose who I'm going to marry and what a career is that I want to have, where I'm going to live, the things that I'm going to do for fun in my spare time. All these things, I get to choose and come up with a plan. And yet we see as believers, that as much as we have come up with the plan, that things don't always go the way that we plan. And I think that what we can see that encapsulates this whole idea of Paul having a plan and us having plans is we can see it in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to show you on the screen here four different translations of Proverbs Chapter 16, verse 9. Let's take a look at it first in the New King James Version. It says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So God gives us freedom to make a plan that in our heart we can determine, hey, here is what I want to do. Here's who I want to marry. Here's where I want to live. Here's the career I want to have. Here's what I want to do for fun. We make our plan, but ultimately we see that it's the Lord who directs our steps. Let's look at it in the NLT, the New Living Translation. It says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So he directs our steps. He determines our steps. Let's look at it in the message. It says, we plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. He makes us able to live out this plan that we have. And in the English Standard Version, it says, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And this is what we see as believers, as we've made plans, as we've come up with things and taken initiative and headed out in a direction, ultimately we see that it is God that is steering and directing us and leading us to our destination. But we get to come up with a plan and we get to head out into that plan and he directs us, he determines where we go, he gives us the ability to do it and he establishes our steps. 
Let's go back to our passage now in Acts chapter 16, because we see Paul's plan is to go to Bithynia. At some point, his plan was hopefully to go to Asia, but it was clear that wasn't where he was to be. And so he wants to go to Bithynia. And yet again, he sees as they're trying to go into Bithynia, they can't get in. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit says, no, closed door, don't go over here. What do you do when plans change? When you have a plan, but then you come to a closed door, or you face rejection, what do you feel when that happens? What is Paul feeling in this moment as he has a plan and wants to go here, and yet he can't? Well, let's look at what happens next. In verse 8, it says, So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, I love this verse because it's so short and it makes it sound as if they're just going to the corner store to get some milk. But ultimately, the journey that Paul chooses next after Bithynia is closed off, he says, okay, well, let's go to Troas. It's a journey of 644 kilometers from where he is trying to get into Bithynia to where he ends up in Troas. And Troas is in the province, the region of Asia, which he's been told he's not to preach the gospel there. So imagine taking a journey that represents hundreds and hundreds of hours, days and days of travel to get to Troas. And the whole way that you're traveling, first of all, you're going in the opposite direction of where you wanted to go. And you're not able to fulfill the purpose that God has given you to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. You can't preach the gospel in Asia because the Holy Spirit has said no. Have you ever gone through a season of time in your life that's felt like this? Like, am I going in the right direction? I'm not seeing results. I'm not seeing fruit. Is this really where I'm supposed to go? Maybe I should have tried harder to get into Bithynia. The Bible doesn't tell us what Paul's attitude is in this moment. But I know what I would be feeling. I'd be second-guessing myself. I'd be wondering, did I make a mistake somewhere? Is there a reason that, did I mess this up? Was I really supposed to go to Bithynia, but maybe I misheard? Maybe I did something wrong, and now God will never let me go to Bithynia. The thoughts that we have when we experience a closed door or a change of plans. But ultimately, what I really believe that Paul's attitude is on this 644-kilometer journey to Troas is that he is full of faith, believing that the God who can say no to preaching in Asia and no to going to Bithynia can say yes to somewhere else. And the reason why I believe that's Paul's attitude is going to come up later in the passage. We're going to come back to this. But for us, what do we do? What do you do when plans change. Paul makes the journey and arrives in Troas, and we see it in verse 9. The next part here, Acts 16, verse 9, it says, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's what we see. Paul had a plan. Let's go to Bithynia. But plans change. What do you do when plans change? Paul headed 
644 kilometers in the opposite direction of his plan to Troas. And then we see that God had a plan. The plans change again. God sends a vision. A Macedonian man saying, hey, come over here. Cross the sea. Come over into Macedonia. We need your help. A very clear call. And so in verse 11, it says, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. What we see is Paul's plan to go to Bithynia, decent plan, good plan, but then things changed. But then he's called to Macedonia and ends up in Philippi, which is an important city in its day. And not only was it important then, but it's important to us as believers because in the Bible, we have a book of Philippians, which is written by Paul to the church in Philippi. And so here we see Paul setting foot for the first time in Philippi to preach the gospel. And we can see the significance of this city, how significant it's going to be for Paul. And for us, 2,000 years later, to read the letter that he writes to the church here. We can see that God's plan is greater than Paul's plan. What do we do when plans change? I believe that that entire 644-kilometer journey that Paul was trusting that God's plan is best. God's plan is better than his plan. And we see it. God's wonderful plan that leads him to Philippi. And as they enter into Philippi and they begin to preach the gospel, because now they know they can preach the gospel here, they see people come to believe in Jesus and they're saved. Again, they're able to fulfill the purpose that Jesus has given them. They're seeing souls saved. And wouldn't it be great if the story just ended there? But it doesn't. It continues. Paul and his team are in Philippi. And then a slave girl <clears throat> begins to come over and start harassing Paul. And Paul can tell that she has some uh, oppressive spirit on her. And she won't leave him alone. And so Paul turns and in the name of Jesus, he frees her from that oppressive spirit. But the slave girl's owners are not happy about this because they've been profiting off of the slave girl. And say so they, they go and grab Paul and Silas and they drag them into the marketplace before the rulers. And we see it in chapter 16 of Acts in verse 22. It says, the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. What do you do when plans change? When God clearly calls you 
to this wonderful place where you're effective in your ministry and there's fruit, there's results that you're seeing and the next thing you know, people are beating you with rods and stripping off your clothes and you're thrown in prison. Is this still part of God's plan? What do we do when plans change? When we're suffering, when it hurts, when we're bruised and bloodied and in shackles, when it's unjust, it's not right, it shouldn't happen like this, and yet here we are. Again, I know how I feel in those situations. I would be sitting in that prison going, should have gone to Bithynia. Or again, thinking, man, I I messed this up. I shouldn't have freed that slave girl. I should have just left it alone. Clearly, I made a mistake here. Clearly, this isn't what's supposed to happen. Clearly, this can't be God's plan. I've made a mess of everything. But again, that's not Paul and Silas. That's not their attitude. We see it in verse 25, where at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Their response is that even when they have been beaten, when they're bruised and bloody and shackled in prison, that they still trust that God's plan is best. They still trust they are praying and praising God, worshiping him in the middle of prison. That's the attitude that they have. What do you do when plans change? As a church, can we trust God that his plan is best? Even when we're suffering, even when we're hurting, even when we're in prison and we're shackled, can we trust God's plan is best? While Paul and Silas are praising and praying to God, there is an earthquake that comes and it busts open the prison doors and it breaks off the shackles and suddenly they're free and yet Paul and Silas stay in the prison and none of the prisoners flee. And the Philippian jailer, he runs in convinced that all of the prisoners must have run away and so he's about to kill himself with his sword when Paul and Silas call out to him. And he's so moved by the fact that Paul and Silas are still here, that all the prisoners haven't left, that he cries out to them and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas lead him in calling on the name of Jesus. And he is saved and his whole household is saved and baptized because of their response to the suffering that they were experiencing even in prison, that they are praying and praising God, even when the shackles broke off and the walls fell over, that they stayed there. It led to the salvation of this jailer and his whole household because they trusted God's plan is best. Again, they see the purpose that God has given them being fulfilled. They see fruit and results, salvation coming to Gentiles because they trust God's plan is best. Today, I want to share with you four things that we can do when our plans change. What do you do 
when plans change. I want to give you four Ps. And if you're writing notes, you can write these four things down. I know Pastor Todd's going to be proud. He loves alliteration. So all four, starting with the letter P. The first P I want to give you. What do we do when plans change? The first thing that we need is patience. Patience. To wait on God. Patience is saying God's plan is worth waiting for. It takes patience. Waiting on God is not easy. It's not easy to wait. We see it in Paul. Waiting can be heading 644 kilometers in what feels like the wrong direction. Waiting for God to speak to you, to open it up. Another opportunity. Waiting. I was talking to my friend Ben this week, and he was telling me about how God is in the waiting. And when we're waiting on God, God uses it like pregnancy. He enlarges us. He makes us bigger as we wait on him. He's preparing us. He's getting us ready for something more. And so we're getting larger so that when the proper time comes, the right place, that we can step into what God has for us. God is in the waiting. It requires patience. What do we do when plans change? We wait. We have patience. God's plan is worth waiting for. The second P is persistence. And Jesus talks about it throughout the Gospels multiple times, how we need to be persistent. How when we reach a door that is closed, we just need to keep knocking and knocking and knocking on the door until finally the person inside gets up and opens the door and gives us what we need. Persistence. Jesus tells a story about a widow who needs justice. And so she goes to an unjust judge and she keeps asking and asking and asking and asking with persistence until finally... She's given the justice that she needs. It takes persistence. And persistence is saying, God, your plan is worth the effort. We trust that God's plan is best. It takes patience. It requires persistence. And we need peace. Peace that passes our understanding as we are wrestling with disappointment, as we're wrestling and fighting against bitterness that wants to creep into our heart through the experiences, through the suffering, through the difficulties, these things that are warring inside of us, and yet we need God to grace us with peace, peace that goes beyond our own understanding, peace that says, God, you are greater than my plans, so I can have peace that your plan is best. And the fourth P that we need, we need patience, we need persistence, we need peace, and we need praise. And that's what we see with Paul and Silas. That's their response, even in prison, to praise God. And praise is us saying, God, even in this situation, you're worthy. Jesus, even if this situation I'm in never changes, still I'm going to say, you're worthy. Even if I never reach that destination, that thing I'm believing for, that direction I'm heading in, even if I never actually attain it over there, that thing that you've put in my heart, still I will say, 
you're worthy. Praise. But with persistence and peace and praise and patience, all these four things, it's not always clear to us what are we to do when we've experienced a closed door or when we're suffering or when it hurts. After all, Paul knew that going to Bithynia was not something that he was to do. It didn't require persistence to keep knocking on the door and keep trying to get into Bithynia. He knew that he had to have patience as he headed in the other direction. But for us, when we're hurting, when things are hard, it's not always easy for us to know, what am I to do in this situation? When I was 19 years old, I came up with a plan. I wanted to go to Seattle to a church internship program. And so I'd saved up my money, and I had applied and been accepted, and it was, I was so excited to go to Seattle. And it was my first time moving away from home, so I threw three going-away parties. The first going-away party I had, I invited absolutely every person that I knew to the party. Then the second party was just for my friends. And then the third party was just for my close friends. And then I packed up my car, and my dad uh, came with me, and we left early one morning, and we drove to Vancouver, and then we went down to the border. And the internship program had told me that everyone who comes from Canada to our program, they all apply for this same visa. So this is all the information you need. This is the visa you need to apply for. And so I went in at the border, talking to the border guards, and I presented all my information, and my dad was with me, and we were both talking and excited. And then finally, the border guard said to me, no, we can't give you this visa, and we will not allow you into the United States. Go home. And oftentimes, when we experience a closed door, or rejection, or things don't go the way we planned, don't live up to our expectations, we internalize it and we think, oh man, I must have said the wrong thing. Man, my dad must have said the wrong thing. It's his fault. I know he shouldn't have said that. And so I was so mad at myself. I was mad at my dad, and my dad felt so bad about it that we got in the car and we drove for three hours to another border crossing. And we tried again. And this time I said, Dad, you stay in the car. I am going to go in and do all the talking. And I presented all the paperwork and I applied for the visa and I talked through everything. And what they said to me was, no, we can't give you this visa. We can't allow you into the United States. Go home. So my dad and I did what anyone would do. We drove for six hours to another border crossing and we tried a third time. We had been driving all day long. It's nighttime now, and I walk in, and I talk to these two young border guards. I let my dad come with me again. It didn't work by myself. It didn't work with him. You can come along, dad. And I'm talking to the border guards. They're so nice. They're so friendly. They're looking over all my information, and they said to me, no. We can't give you this visa. We can't admit you into the United States. Go home. And so two days after throwing all of these going away parties, I was back at home in my pajamas 
lying in my bed, reading books all day. So convinced that God had very clearly closed the door for me. No way. Clearly, he must be saving me from something awful here. That he would close the door so firmly against me. So I was convinced I just have to just sit here and figure out what's happening next. Fortunately for me, my mom did not have the same perspective on the situation. She believed that I needed to just keep trying, to be persistent, to keep knocking on the door, and that God would open it up for me. And so she kicked me out of bed and made me get dressed and did a bunch of research and found a more obscure visa. And she dragged me down to the U.S. consulate downtown and made me have these meetings and fill out all this paperwork and get all this information. And it took a month. But a month later, I packed up my car again. I left my dad at home. I drove straight south to the nearest border crossing I could get to. That way, if I was rejected, it would be a short drive home. And I went in talked to the border guards, presented all my information for this obscure visa that they had never heard of. And then they made me sit there for hours and hours until finally they came and said yes for a temporary visa that turned into a permanent visa that allowed me to do the full two years of the program. And going down there and being a part of that, it impacted my life so greatly that it's helped me become who I am today. But the point of that story is that I'm so glad that I had my mom who had a different perspective of the situation. That when I was feeling down and discouraged and just wanted to stay in bed, where she was able to see, no, you got to get up and be persistent here. This door can be opened. But I also recognize that not all of us here have that sort of person in our life. And that is where we need each other as a church, as community, to be that person for each other. Can we be that kind of a church that comes alongside of other people when they're facing closed doors and rejection, when things are difficult and they're suffering, and to say to them, hey, I see this from a different perspective. You know what? You need to be patient because God's plan is worth waiting for. Or you know what? You just need to get up. I know you've been knocked down, but you need to get up again and keep knocking at the door. Keep asking because his plan is worth the effort. Can we be people who come alongside others and speak peace into their situation, encouraging them that Jesus Christ is with them and that they can have peace even when it hurts and they're suffering? Can we come alongside others and say, hey, let's praise him together because he's worthy. No matter what happens in this situation, that we can say he's worthy of our praise. So today, as we look towards 2019, knowing all the things that happened in 2018 and not being sure of what's going to come in the next year, what are we going to do when plans change? As a church, let's trust God that His plan is best.